This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Can you believe that there's people in this country who think that sex trafficking is not a big deal and does, doesn't even happen here? Yeah, they're the same people who think that Noreen Gosh is a loon just because yeah. she's trying to find her missing son. Yeah. Noreen Gosh is not a loon, and she, if anything, is just one of the most capable women on the planet, honestly. She has done more for human sex trafficking than really almost anybody else. Yeah, she's really an amazing woman. I can't even believe that she can go on every day with some of the stuff that's been thrown at her in her life. And especially since Johnny's gone missing and, you know, the people who should be helping her aren't. So it's like if she is out of her mind, it's because you guys made her. But everybody wearing a badge won't do anything like to the point where they won't do anything so much that it's like, did you guys kidnap Johnny? They're so bad at their jobs that it almost makes them look involved. I mean, that is a theory that we we can get into. But the police in this case completely did everything wrong from the get go and made things even worse along the way. But now we have things that. You know, the police are important in these kinds of things, but we have things that we don't have to use them for. There's the traffic cam app like we've talked about. And Ashton Kutcher has that foundation thorn where he has devoted his entire life now to helping, you know, end sex trafficking. Yeah, he's really amazing. Have you seen that video clip of him testifying in front of the Senate committee? Oh, yeah. He did a fantastic job. Oh, my gosh. It's heartbreaking. Some of the stuff he talks about, but. It's amazing to see that there are good people in the world that are trying to use technology for things other than scamming your credit. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's crazy how back in 1982, when this case takes place, people in this area didn't even know what the word pedophile meant. And the reasoning behind those kinds of things on why the media doesn't doesn't put it out there more is because it makes people uncomfortable. And it should. These things shouldn't be able to happen. If we know that they're happening, we should do everything we can to end it. Yeah. So we should get into the case. Obviously, for those who don't know, we're talking about Johnny Gosh, who was a 12-year-old boy from the West Des Moines, Iowa area, who went missing back in 1982 from his paper route. And it all kind of started because Johnny wanted to go on his route alone. And the night before, he had asked, like, hey, you know, can I go on the paper route? And I've heard dad said yes, but mom said no. And so that meant... They both said no. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and and Johnny's dad normally went with him, but this time he thought, hey, you know, I think I can do it. I can do it on my own. So Johnny got up at 545 and he left without waking his dad up, took his little red wagon like he normally would and took their dog Gretchen and went to go get the papers to go deliver them around the neighborhood. Yeah. So this was Sunday morning, September 5th. And we know the time because Johnny's neighbor, Larry, said that he heard Johnny cut across his yard that morning at like 545. And then he met up on the corner with a bunch of other newspaper boys. Apparently this was like common. The newspaper company would like send a van with all the newspapers to like different areas And everybody would meet at one spot, pick up their papers, and then go their separate ways for their route. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I've always understood it, is that there's one place that the boys would go, you know, with their wagons or whatever they would take, and they would pick up their papers and and then go kind of 
Amongst the neighborhoods, yeah. Yeah, so all the witnesses, meaning the other paper boys and a father of one of the other paper boys that was there, say that a blue two-tone Ford Fairmont, possibly with Nebraska license plates, was talking to Johnny. And some people have said that it backed up to talk to him. Some people said it followed him to talk to him. Anyway, he was asking Johnny for directions. And Johnny called over one of the other boys' fathers to help him, a man named Mike Rossi. And when he walked over to the car, the guy, like, flipped a U-turn real quick and sped off. And Johnny told him that he was creeped out by the guy and he wanted to get out of there. So he grabbed his papers and took off on his route. And some of the other paper boys saw the guy in the blue car back up. And they say he flashed the dome light in his car three times. And then right after this, they say they saw a man step out from between two houses and walk in the same direction that Johnny walked. And shortly after this, a neighbor heard a car door slam and looked out his window and saw a silver and black two-toned Ford peeling out, ran the stop sign, made a left at the corner. And when the guy looked out, all that was left was Johnny's wagon with his newspapers and his dog. What a crazy story. I mean, just to look out and see or not knowing what you're seeing and have all of that take place. So this is different witnesses seeing different parts of this story. And when you put it all together, it's pretty obvious what happened with Johnny. But in in that moment, each one of them only seeing one little bit of this, they didn't even really comprehend what they were seeing. Right. They all saw parts, but other than the last big part, there's not really a puzzle to put together. And just like, oh, and then you hear piece by piece by piece and you go, Oh, man, like this is bad to sum up that whole first part, because I know it's a little jarbled. There was a lot of newspaper boys, their dads, multiple neighbors that saw Johnny that morning starting his route. They saw multiple cars. They saw an older man talking to Johnny. They saw the lights flashing, the other guy walking, and then Johnny's gone. Did I ever tell you about the time when I was 10 or 11 and I, I used to live across the street from a church with a really big open parking lot? And then I was riding my bike over there and I car did pull up to me and ask me for directions and even now as an adult I don't know directions and but I remember telling the person like uh yeah just go that way and make a right but I had no idea and then as they I remember thinking like as this was happening and then after it happened like that could have gone badly you know so luckily well that's the they- thing like Kids need to be taught that adults don't need anything from you. Like an adult yeah. you don't know should never talk to you and ask you for yeah. anything. No, so if if it. an adult comes up to you and asks you for directions or to check something out or do, something bad's going on because a normal adult would never ask a child for help with anything. And that's rule number one of children's rules of from crime to crime. <laughs> and that's why when Johnny had his friend's dad come over and say, hey, can you help this guy with directions? Like the guy sped off because he wasn't asking for directions. So obviously Johnny goes missing, but nobody saw Johnny go missing. So it wasn't until about 7 a.m., that's when the Gosha started getting phone calls from neighbors on Johnny's paper route saying their papers were late. Where's Johnny? Like, can somebody, you know, help? So John took off to go help Johnny and he found the wagon and their dog tied to the wagon. And that's when he rushed home and told Noreen and they called the police. And then John and another neighbor went out to finish Johnny's route, which a lot of people speculate bad stuff about this like your son is missing and you go finish his paper out but I really understand why he did that because all the neighbors were calling about their papers not being there and they have to answer the phone because Johnny's missing 
So in 1982, they didn't have caller ID, so they have to answer the phone. And then every time they answer the phone, they have to explain to somebody that Johnny's missing and they're taking up the phone line. So he probably was just like, screw it. I'm going to go deliver the rest of the papers so we can stop getting these phone calls. That's a really good thought. You know, and I, when we were doing the research for this case, I heard a lot of people talk about how like that's weird behavior for him to do. And why would you do that nonchalantly? Nothing says it was nonchalant, but you're right. I mean, there was only one phone line then. So yeah, he had no caller ID. And so no it's not ID. like he could see that it was, oh, this is Mrs. Smith and she's just worried about her paper. Like they had to answer every phone call and then explain to every neighbor that their kid was missing. It's like, oh, I probably would have done the same thing. Like, God, somebody just go finish that route. Yeah. You know, no, you're right. So that does make that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And it took the West Des Moines Police Department 45 minutes to get to the Gosh's home. And they only lived 10 blocks away so where are you when why isn't there anybody in the neighborhood anyway like shouldn't there be someone on kind of patrol where are you they were probably out kidnapping kids obviously that's the theory at the end they were obviously getting rid of johnny we we can't talk about that yet we have to get into that in the end i know i'm just saying like literally where are you for 45 minutes this kid goes missing and for 45 minutes the police don't even bother to show up this is already starting badly but again Noreen has done so much for sex trafficking victims, including her own son, from the get-go because she starts calling around to the other paper boys and she takes their statements down while she's waiting that 45 minutes. Yeah. Which, that's kind of why we know anything because the police never did that. They never went and talked to any of the paper boys and asked what they saw. They did go talk to them eventually, but it was so much later. Almost every witness said that when they were talked to by the police... It was like they were completely uninterested, didn't really care. Like they were just whatever. They just assumed he was a runaway and they didn't even bring paper to like take notes on what the witnesses saw. So even all if these he is accounts, a runaway, right. You have to find him. Right. But all these accounts from these eyewitnesses are because of Noreen. We wouldn't right. have any of these if she didn't do any of that. But it just makes no sense. Oh, he's a runaway. Okay, well, go where go where he is and find him and he's bring him back. He's still 12. Yeah. Like, that's not an acceptable response that, oh, yeah. you know, totally. oh, he just, you know, is a runaway. No, he's not just a runaway. He's 12 and needs to come back. Yeah. From the start, when the police got there, they just kept saying to John and Noreen, like, well, how many times has he run away before? And when, you know, or has he run away before? Or kind of implying that, like, this was a runaway case. And it was so clearly not a runaway case. I mean, besides all the witnesses seeing sketchy people and lights flashing which a lot of people think was a signal the kid was in the middle of a paper route with his dog if he was gonna run away why wouldn't he just run away why would exactly. he start his paper route for one and why would he take his dog with him and if he did take his dog with him to run away why would he leave his dog in the middle of the street that makes no sense absolutely not none of this makes sense and especially the police not wanting to be involved. Like that yeah. probably makes of the whole story, the police not wanting to be involved makes the least amount of sense because why are you there if it's not to be called for things like this? That's the other thing is from the start, this was police chief Orville Cooney's very first kidnapping case. And it shows right off the bat, he mishandled everything that he could on this case everything from the absolute beginning and they claimed that 72 hour bullshit where oh if they go missing you have 72 hours before we'll consider them you know missing and not just a, i don't know what else would they be besides missing any other time 48 I, hours you're still missing 
Well, that's what I don't understand is, like you said, even if he's a runaway, he is 12 years old. You need to find him. Say he did run away. You need to find him. Yeah. He can't be without his shelter, his home, his place. He's not allowed to just be out on the streets. Yeah. And the police kept saying, well, we don't have any evidence of a crime. We have no crime scene. He just ran away. It's like the crime is that there's a 12-year-old missing. The crime scene is the wagon full of newspapers with his dog tied to it. I don't understand what you mean by you don't have a crime and you don't have a crime scene. And if you would go talk to the neighbors, you would find where the crime scene happened. Like, right. There, people heard and saw things in the neighborhood. Yeah. But the police didn't even try on this case. And it's a huge reason why people think that there is a conspiracy theory in this story. We can't stress enough how inept and corrupt this police department was. Yeah. The local politics in general were super corrupt and we can't get into all of it because it would be a five and a half hour podcast, but there's tons of information about the Franklin Credit Union scandal and local sex trafficking rings connected to wealthy and influential people in this area. So it's a really big, you know, vast thing that you can look into and we can't get into all of it here. Yeah. And the family organized searches because, again, the police did nothing. They didn't even organize a search. In fact, the police said that they shouldn't go looking for him because he was just a runaway. And Chief Orville again went as far as to show up to a search party drunk, get on a table and tell everyone to go home because he's just a runaway. Yeah. Drunk. What the hell happens in middle America in the 1980s? They were so corrupt. There's so many reports. You can look into all of this about police officers that were charged with crimes or not charged with crimes that should have been. Different things that were going on in this police department. It was really bad to the point where the family had to organize all the searches themselves like you said and they even had to give their home phone number and address out in the media and on tv for tips because they didn't trust the police this is ridiculous how oh yeah how can you even as a police department like put your name on that and think that this is fine this is a national case at this point how are you still so bad at all of it i just it just blows my mind yeah well The police chief and the entire department treated John and Noreen terribly. They were quoted like calling them names and it was really bad to the point where it's like, geez, are you guys involved? Like, it's really bad. They made the parents out to be hysterical. Right. Like, even we talked about in the beginning, like the FBI even used the term loon to describe them. Like, are you kidding? These are people who are searching for their lost son. Well, and at that point, they were begging the FBI to take over because of what was going on in West Des Moines. And the FBI was like, oh, this crazy lady. It's like, no, you don't understand what's happening here. Or maybe they did. And that's that's why people think that they're involved, because everybody just kind of was awful to these people. So this Chief Cooney was only the chief for another, like, year after this happened. And then in 1987, he was arrested for shoplifting at a Target. This is the best. Yeah, it really creeps me out what he shoplifted. And a lot of people are like, oh, it was like $48 worth of stuff. It's like, yeah, but what the stuff was was awkward. Okay, two wall switch plates and a pack of wall hooks are one thing. But he also shoplifted two blank VHS tapes. Why do you think he was shoplifting blank VHS tapes? I don't know. I want you to say it. Yes, you do know. Say it. Absolutely the only thing that I could think would go on a blank VHS tape is your mom recording soaps in the afternoon because she's still at work and her soap operas come on at 3 (laughs) p.m. Or 
child porn. What else would you need a blank VHS tape for? My mom so totally did. Oh, I know. So mine. <laughs> but it's like, what else would you need a VHS tape for? Because obviously it wasn't the money. It was $40 worth of stuff. It was obvious he didn't want a record of him buying VHS tapes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like there, I can understand why there's reasons why he would be buying blank VHS tapes. But given what he's done, the circumstances and all that goes into this case. Eh, yeah, it's pretty yeah, sketch it's why he's still. Yeah, it's really awkward why he's stealing blank VHS tapes at this point. It, it like totally gives me like a Joe D'Angelo vibe where everybody's like, now that we know who he is and then you can look back at his record and they're like, oh, yeah, he was arrested for shoplifting dog repellent. And, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, because he used to use those in his crimes. Right. And so he didn't want it on record, him buying it, so he shoplifted it. Uh, it makes perfect sense. I know. It's really awkward. And Joe D'Angelo was a former cop. So, you know, and here we have Chief Orville, who's uh, kind of walking that same path. So Yeah, who's a dick and a drunk. And I have <laughs> yeah. no qualms. Like, that guy was a dick, and he was bad at his job. Oh, he was terrible at it. We, we both know you have no problem telling people who are bad at their jobs that they are, in fact, bad at their jobs. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, don't be bad at your job. <laughs> if you don't want Erica to yell at you, don't be bad at your job, everybody. Yeah. So, like we talked about in the beginning, people in this area at this time did not want to hear the term pedophile. They didn't want to know what it means. They didn't want to know anything about this stuff, which I get it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, but it's one of those things that make it so uncomfortable that it has to stop because it shouldn't be happening ever. Right. In any circumstance. And I can understand that the general public going, eh, you know, and like not wanting to know. But if you're a police officer, guess what? You have to look into this. Oh, yeah. You have to. It know. didn't matter what evidence came to light or what witnesses came forward. The police came up with a reason not to investigate every single solitary lead. Yeah, they were absolutely useless. Totally. Then to follow that up in 1984... Another paper boy went missing from his route, Eugene Martin, and again in the Des Moines area, very similar circumstances. And guess what? Police refused to look into these cases being connected again. Yeah. Why? Why wouldn't you look at the same area, same idea? Why wouldn't you look at that again and say, hey, maybe there's a connection? Like, you're blatantly not doing your job at this point as a police officer. No kidding. That's why another kid went missing two years later. Yeah. Yeah. So the Anderson Erickson Dairy Company started printing pictures of Johnny and Eugene on the side of their milk cartons, which was this was kind of the start of a common thing that went on for a while, printing pictures of missing kids on the side of milk cartons. Yeah. When did that stop? In the late 80s. Why? Well, I think there was a couple of reasons why. One, I think they switched to plastic bottles instead of paper cartons. You can print on those still, though. Yeah, but not probably not as cheaply. Could you see it, too, with the silhouettes and as the milk fills up, the picture of the missing child and the information comes up with it? Well, and then I think the other reason was because who drinks milk? Children. Right. Like, children aren't solving missing persons cases, so... But who's but who's who's buying milk? Parents, yeah, that's true. And I, I mean, that's true. it wasn't. I don't know. It why. wasn't the late '80s because I remember in at least the early mid '90s looking at those and seeing like, oh, look, you know, there's some missing kids. So I, I do remember that. So yeah, you know, it was probably the late '90s, I would guess, actually. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably a reason why, and that's probably why our generation of people are so obsessed with true crime. Because when we were in kindergarten, we were trying to solve missing persons cases on our lunch breaks. So, well, how could we not? We had John Bonet Ramsey yeah. on People Magazine. We had Kristen Smart on People Magazine yeah. all around us. You know, yep. 
So around this same time in 1984, John and Reve Walsh, which are Adam Walsh's parents, everybody knows John Walsh from America's Most Wanted and The Hunt. Them, along with the Goshes, John and Noreen, and a couple of other families of other victims created Neckmeck. Yeah. So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. For yes. anyone who is who's listened to our previous episodes, I learned that from Erica. Yeah. So Noreen's done some really good work. Like you said, she just keeps keeps on keeping on and she pushed through the Johnny Gosh bill, which took away the waiting period for missing kids and required the police to act right away if it's a minor. Oh, finally. Gosh. Yeah. You know, like I can't even believe that had to be legislation. Like Hey, guys, can we look out for each other a little bit better? And like, hey, if one of your kids goes missing, how about we all look? I, I would love to know if a missing kid is missing so I can help look if I see them. Yeah, well, that's what's crazy about this case is the community did. It's really only the police department that didn't. But then the police department cast Noreen in such a bad light that it made everybody go, oh, well, maybe she is kind of. And it's like, no, she's not. She's fine. Her son is missing. These people are being a nightmare and they're drunk. Like, <laughs> figure this out. Find this kid. I just, ugh. It's gross. The whole I know. Thing is it gross. is gross. It is gross. And it's all so scary to think about, but it's something that you have to know and think about, especially if you have kids. You know, I have kids. And so it's stuff that I constantly think about when I make decisions for them. Like, do I want them doing that? Is that a safe choice? I don't know. There might be an underground sex trafficking ring lurking around the corner and I have to make sure that they don't get abducted. (laughs) I know. Are my thoughts. (laughs) I know. It's sad. And we watched too much of this too. When my niece and nephew were here last week, I was like, hold my hand. And my niece is like, I'm 14. Leave me alone. You know? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. If they're taking you, they're taking me with them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway. Then in Sioux City, Iowa, a lady who received a dollar bill as change had a note written on it that said, I'm alive. Johnny Gosh, handwritten note. And Noreen and John say that it looks like his writing. I, I think that it was him. I mean, they say that, oh, it could be somebody playing a prank and it definitely could be. But it seems like a weird prank for someone to play. It's like, I don't know. I'm alive, Johnny Gosh, on a one dollar bill. And then I, I don't know. I just. I think it could happen, but I'm still on the camp that Johnny Gosh is still alive at this point. Yeah. So in 1986, another paper boy named Mark Allen went missing, of course, because when you don't solve crimes, they keep happening. Right. So three paper boys in four years go missing. And he was in the same area, right? Yeah. They all went missing from the West Des Moines, Iowa area. And all three cases are still unsolved. <laughs> Because all three of them had the West Des Moines, Iowa Police Department that didn't want to solve them. Yeah, exactly. Maybe there was a reason why. Yeah. So in 1988, the Goshes received a typed letter signed, Your Son, Johnny Gosh. And in the letter, it said he was abducted, sold, traded, forced to do awful things. And the letter was postmarked Idaho. And the Gosh family believe it was from Johnny because he used to sign everything your son, Johnny Gosh. And they used to joke with him, like, we know your last name. You don't have to sign Gosh. But he always did. Yeah, you don't have to be so formal with us. Yeah. I think that was from him, too. I mean, for him to say it like that and sign it that way, I don't think anybody who didn't know it was him would have signed it so formally. Right. Like, if it was somebody pulling a prank, they probably would have just signed it Johnny. Yeah. I wonder how he got access to a computer, though, to type that out. I don't know. I guess in 88, it was probably a typewriter, huh? Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, could have been. And I also wonder 
if they still have these letters, like, does she still have the letter? Does she still have the envelope? Maybe they could run DNA. Yeah. I mean, obviously not this police department. They won't. But John and Noreen are so good. I mean, the police department was so bad. They had to hire their own private investigators and, you know, people to do what the police should have been doing, which is batshit crazy. What are your taxes for? (laughs) Obviously to pay a corrupt police department. And I don't think all police are corrupt, but I think this one was corrupt. Well, that's what's sad is like, I'm generally like pretty pro police. Like we need them. And there's a lot of good cops that want to do good for the community. But obviously there's bad cops too. And this case is one of the worst I've ever seen. This is like super troopers or cops. This is horrible. In 1991, though, that's when the biggest break in this case happened when a convicted sex offender, Paul Benassi, came forward and confessed that he had helped kidnap Johnny Gosh. He was already in jail because he was connected to the Franklin Credit Union scandal. So the Franklin Credit Union scandal, we can't get into. It's too much, too many moving parts and people's names and... But it was very influential and wealthy people in the community. And supposedly they were involved in sex trafficking and all this stuff. They were only convicted of fraud and financial crimes. But there was a lot to it. And there's a great book about it. There's a whole bunch of stuff about it. And you could really you could go down that for years. But Paul Benassi was involved in all of that. And he suffered from DID or multiple personality disorder. Have you seen videos of this? Oh, yeah. I've watched all of them. And he's talking and you ask him questions about certain things and he'll lay his head down on the desk in front of him and he comes back up as a different person. I've heard people describe this as a bus with different people on it and different people take turns driving the bus. So, you know, when he puts his head down, one person gets off and another one gets in and kind of takes over. A lot of people think that it's total bullshit and he's making this all up and everything, but I believe him. I mean, it's really, really interesting to watch these interviews. And I don't know, it's, there was a lot of stuff in there that he shouldn't have known and he did know. And the multiple personality disorder and the DID stuff, a lot of people are like, oh, that's bogus and da da But it's really, it's like a well-known thing that a lot of people develop DID or multiple personality disorder when they've suffered severe trauma as a child. It's like a way for their body and their brain to deal with that. Yeah. And during all that, he admitted that he had been sexually abused and trafficked himself since he was six. So all all of the pieces are really lining up. And I really agree that this is... The real deal. I don't think he's playing games at all in any way. I I think think that this guy has this and he maybe he can control who goes into that into that driver's seat, but he can't control what's going on when there's somebody in it. No, I don't think so either. And that's what the biggest thing, too, is that he says that this child prostitution ring that he was forced into at the age of six literally forced him to help them kidnap Johnny Gosh. They don't want to do this, but they're being forced and coerced and, again, abused. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is when they're abducted, they get the kids hooked on drugs first and foremost oh, yeah. so that they are then more willing to do what Malleable. they say. So they, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I completely, completely believe his story and what's going on. And like you said earlier, he knew things about this case that nobody else would have known. So yeah. So he describes a man named Emilio who, according to how Paul Benassi describes him, 
looks a lot like the sketch of the guy driving the blue Ford that the witnesses saw the morning of Johnny's abduction. Yeah. But anyway, so he says Emilio made him chloroform Johnny. Yeah, he said that he made him take a cloth and put it over his mouth and his nose. And basically when he went limp, you know, that's when they knew that they could do what they needed to do. Yeah, throw him in the car and go. He didn't get anything but flack for telling this story. He didn't get like a break on his sentence. Nothing. Like he's only gotten criticism and shit for this. So there would be no reason for him to make it up. Like why would he be making... If you think he's lying, why would he be lying? Right. And Noreen herself has said that what he says is true. It's So it's not... You know, other people saying it's his mom who's like, oh, yeah, if he knew about that, then, yeah, nobody else knew about that. Well, then America's Most Wanted got involved in 1992. They took the case and they interviewed Benassi and just about everything he said, like we've mentioned, checked out. And Right, because Noreen had interviewed him before. Like, she had gone and seen him and talked to him. Yeah, she went and talked to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and she believes him. Like, this is Johnny's mom. Yeah. And people just discredit her. And I'm like, she's his mother. Like, listen to her. Right. She knows what's going on. She's since this started, she's been more put together than the police ever were. She's done. Well, that's more the for thing. She's his mom and she's the lead investigator on this case. Yeah. So <laughs> nobody knows more than she does. Absolutely. They had to hire private investigators to check these things out. So they start interviewing the neighbors and. They get to one neighbor who's, they open the door and he's like, oh, thanks. I've been, you know, waiting for you guys. Like, oh yeah. They think these private investigators are the cops, you know? So they just start talking. And what they find out is that this neighbor who was a few blocks away from the abduction site witnessed a van parked and a car pull up and transfer a body to the van. The investigators told the Goshes to never tell the police or the media about that because if anybody ever came forward in the future, they would know then that that's how they were telling the truth because they weren't going to release it anywhere else. And Paul Benassi was able to describe the van and the placement of the van. So Noreen's convinced that he's telling the truth. Yeah. He's also talked about a scar that Johnny had on his tongue and a couple of other scars like on his ankle, things that he would never know. Like yeah, a though, scar on none your of tongue. those things were in the none of those things were in the media. And things like Johnny had a stammer when he was mad. I mean, obviously people who knew Johnny would know that, but they never put that on the news or anything. So how would Paul Bonassi know these things? Because he was there. He was involved in it. That's the only way. Yeah. There's no other explanation for that. Well, and don't forget too, he even took them to that house in Colorado where he said that they were kept and there was an underground like bunker that was dug out. And there's initials that are carved into the wood down there that he says are the boys initials, but the cops again won't investigate. Now I know the first thing when I was watching that clip of him taking them to that house and he was like having a total meltdown and everything. He knew there was a bunker at that house before they went in all this stuff. And I'm like, well, whose house is this? Who lived there? Who lived there 10 years ago? Who lived there five years ago? Like, but the cops, they're like, nah, that's some old shit. We're not dealing with that. Well, it's like, what? So this house is, this house is in Colorado. Why are the Colorado police not investigating it? If 
I have no idea. Like that doesn't make sense to me that a whole different state way far away is not checking out either. Like what's going on here that that's not enough to get the police to investigate. And for anyone who hasn't seen the footage, you need to. And Paul Benassi says that when anybody would come over or anything, they would hustle all the boys down into that little basement area thing. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, who's coming over though? Like are they just having I don't parties? Know. Yeah, well that's what Paul Benassi said is that they were being traded and sold and moved around all the time. So the cops won't investigate any of this for some reason. They won't even interview Paul Benassi. They won't even take his statement because after his story came out, they went in and interviewed his siblings 10 years after the abduction. And based on what his siblings said, the police say they won't talk to him because his sister says he was in Omaha the day of Johnny's abduction. So there's no way he could be involved. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, what? First of all, there is so many things wrong with that statement, starting with the fact that Omaha is only an hour and 45 minutes from West Des Moines. So you could have taken a three-hour trip and your sister didn't know where you were th- for three hours ten fucking years ago. Like In the early part of the morning, mind you, too. Yeah, that's bullshit. If you asked my brother what I was doing ten years ago, he'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? How would I know? that's crazy to even think about that because his sister said he was in Omaha, he can't be involved. It's like Omaha is drivable in less than a day. And why would you take his sister's word for it? Especially because what is the family dynamic here with Paul Benassi? Because from what we've been told in other situations is that he's been involved in a sex trafficking ring since he was six years old. Right. That's what I was just going to ask. Like, wait, his sister's involved, but he's been doing this since he was six. So who in their family is running this? Obviously, their family is involved in this. That's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, well, if he has a family, then they're involved in this or I don't understand how this. Absolutely. I don't understand how the sister's recollection of where her brother was 10 years ago on one specific morning would be enough to say we're not even going to interview him. Like, even if you think what he's saying is total bullshit, you need to go take his statement and verify that it's total bullshit. I completely agree. I mean, and if nothing else, what an interview he he must be. I would would love to sit down with this this guy. Like, none of this makes any sense. But part of the reason why a lot of people are like, well, maybe Noreen is a little bit, you know, off is because when she was under oath on the stand in a court case in 1999, she was asked if she had ever had contact with Johnny since his abduction. And she admitted that two years before he had come to her house with another man. He was 27 years old, had long black hair, and he told her that he escaped from this sex trafficking ring and he'd been living on an Indian reservation in hiding. And that she couldn't say anything to anybody and she had to keep quiet because he was in danger and she was in danger. And then he just left. So do you believe her? I do. I do, too. Of course. Absolutely. I mean, I do. I don't necessarily know that it was Johnny, but I believe this happened. Yeah. You don't think it was Johnny? I think it could have been Johnny completely. I do because I think he's alive. And I think everything that Noreen thinks happened to him did happen to him. So I think there's a very real chance that it could have been Johnny. But also she was on a talk show shortly before this happened and gave out her home address on the talk show because she had moved since her divorce from Johnny's dad. 
And so she literally gave her home address on TV in case her son was watching. She wanted him to know where she lived. But it also could have been some asshole pulling a prank. But I really don't think so. I mean, that's a far, that's more than writing a note on a dollar bill or sending a type letter. I know. I don't, I don't think anybody would have faked that because I think being his mom, she would have been like, show me your scars. Tell me this. Tell me that. I think absolutely that. This was definitely in the interviews Johnny. that I've seen when they ask her, did you check his scars or his because he had a birthmark on his chest? She said that she didn't have to because she could see in his eyes that it was him. Uh, well, his eyes hadn't changed, but she did say that he did show her the birthmark. But she said, I don't even need to see that. His eyes didn't change. It was my son. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely believe her. And, and there's a lot of questions, too, about why she didn't say anything when it happened and the easy answers to that are one no one would believe her anyway so who cares like no one would would yeah. believe her you know and the, well, she that's said it under what oath. i think well yeah she said it under oath because she had to tell the truth but yeah i think she would look more like a crazy person if she was like hey by the way everybody um this happened no she had to she felt i took an oath i have to tell the truth well so she did so the other reason that she wouldn't say anything is because he told her that he had escaped from the sex trafficking ring and that he was in danger and so was she and so he asked her to keep quiet and in some way i guess if you think your child's life is in danger maybe you do keep quiet but on the other hand like you said even if she would have said anything what would it have mattered it's not like the cops would have looked into it totally and so I, it would have just made her look worse. Well, I think too, I mean, if your son who escaped from a sex trafficking ring is on the run and saying, hey, don't say anything because it will jeopardize me. Yeah, probably not going to yeah. say anything. Yeah. Well, and maybe in a normal case, maybe you do. Maybe you go to your FBI sure. agent. Maybe you go to your lead investigator. But in Noreen's case, what was she going to do? Go to Orville? Drunk? Yeah. And right. tell him so that he could tell the media that she's crazy? No. Yeah, of course nobody, she kept it to herself. Nobody's helped her. So absolutely. I don't blame her. Yeah. And in 2013, the FBI finally did bust a child sex trafficking ring in Iowa and 105 kids were rescued. So for all those people who are like, not in our backyard, it doesn't happen here. That's New York City shit. It's like, uh-uh, that's Iowa shit. 105 yeah, kids. Go on. Going on right underneath your nose. Yeah. It happens everywhere. It happens in the safest towns in America and in the shittiest towns in America and all over the world. Yeah. It can literally happen anywhere and there's not a place on earth that this can't happen. Right. And then in 2014, a documentary came out called Who Took Johnny? And I think it was fantastic. And I think it did a really good job of putting together everything that you needed to know without slandering anybody specifically like we've done here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it let you know who the people who really care and who the people who should have never been in the position they were in. And it was a really great documentary and it's still available on Amazon, whatever, Amazon video or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't I'm signed so up for the old, free account. I don't know how to do all that. I just don't but, want to pay for it, but I would like to see it. So if anybody will let yeah. me use their Amazon documentary use prime mine. account. Well, yours is a seven day trial. If I just have to hope that you forget to cancel. So if you do, oh, I'll use that one. I will forget to cancel it. I oh. always do. Awesome. I can't wait to watch it. So anyway, it's a great documentary and... There's some things in there that I didn't know. I mean, I've known this case for a long time 
And there's some things in there that I was learning for the first time. And I was like, what the hell? So, and one of the things was they were trying to get an interview with the FBI about, hey, why the hell didn't you ever investigate this? And when the FBI agent finally sat down for an interview with the filmmakers, the first thing they said was, okay, so let's talk about Johnny Gosh. And the FBI agent was like, I don't know anything about that case. Yeah, I'm not super sketchy. And he started like coughing. And then a lady off camera who knows who that was, was like, we already told you we're not talking about the Johnny Gosh case. It's like, excuse me, what? We're making a movie about that. Why? What else would we be talking about? Yeah, I have seen that footage. And it's it's so bizarre because he sits down and it's like, I personally don't know anything about that. Yeah. And it's one thing to be like, oh, I'm sorry, we're not talking about that case because, you know, it's open and active or whatever, you know. But then there's another thing to be super ultra sketchy about it. Yeah. I don't understand why everybody in this power would not be working as hard as they can to solve this and every other sex trafficking case, especially children sex trafficking cases throughout the entire world. Like. It, it makes no sense. It doesn't. So do you want to get into the theories about this case? Everyone's favorite time is theory time. <laughs> One theory that doesn't really come up a lot because this is pretty obviously <laughs> sex trafficking <laughs> is is <laughs> that he was kidnapped by a single abductor, just a random asshole, which if that's the case would probably be responsible for Eugene and Mark, also the other two boys that ended up going missing within a couple of years. I just don't buy it because if that was the case and it was a single abductor, I feel like they would have found the guy. He would have been a local. Yeah, absolutely. A Des Moines guy doing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. Uh, This one, this one doesn't do it for me. The another one is that he's a runaway. We've kind of already gone over that one, too, in this case. It, it just doesn't add up. You know, there was no reason no. for him to be a runaway. I know. The runaway theory is stupid. Also, if I'm not mistaken, 12 is a little young for the runaway theory. Aren't most <laughs> runaways like 14, 15, like 12 seems a little young. I mean, sure, it can be. I mean, I'm sure there's outliers that do. But yeah. this doesn't sound like that. It doesn't make sense. No. It doesn't have that feel to it. It does not. So really, the only logical theory is sex trafficking. It has to be. Yeah. We could go on about the different theories inside of the sex trafficking theory, but it's all sex trafficking. It's just who's involved and who isn't. Major players are involved, and that's kind of all we know about how big these things can get is there are people in very high-ranking positions throughout politics, the military, police agencies, anywhere and everywhere that are involved in these kinds of things, and you know that's what makes stopping them so hard. Yep. And Noreen said it the best, when you're a poor pedophile, you have to go out and kidnap your own victims and take that risk of getting caught. But if you're a rich one, do you do that yourself or do you hire somebody? Oh, you 100% hire somebody. 100%. So if there's a certain amount of the population that are pedophiles, whatever the statistic is, the last time I heard it was like 1%. You're going to have pedophiles in every level of our society. You're going to have the low ones that go out and do it themselves. And you're also going to have these wealthy, influential people who have the same predilections. Yeah, absolutely. And And they have more money to organize. And like we've kind of talked about, I mean, the police in this may very well have been had been involved in this all the way or up at to, least somebody in the police. 
very high up too because to yeah. see the way the chief acts yeah you know i don't know who the chief's boss is the mayor you know i'm not saying that i'm just saying like it maybe necessarily isn't even the people who look so bad it could be even higher than them and they're doing what they're told you know what i mean yeah like yeah. this could come from way high up the mayor the governor local you know whatever who knows? I'm not Absolutely. saying that in this case, but it could come from higher than the chief, and he's just a drunk asshole who's not any good at his job, and he knows that, but he's controllable. So somebody higher than him is like, look, Orville, you're not going to investigate this case at all, or you're right. going to lose your job because you're not any good at it anyway. Maybe that's why he's a drunk. Maybe you know he can't do anything, and instead of yeah, retiring and going off into the sunset, he just gets drunk because he knows he's not going to get fired because he knows too much. Yeah. So another weird theory that I've heard a lot is that supposedly the Gosh family got a phone call in the middle of the night before Johnny left on his newspaper route. And it was supposedly a wrong number, but I've heard of quite a few little weird things about the dad answered the phone and he said more than just like, oh, you have the wrong number. In fact, he never said you have the wrong number. And then he just said, like, yeah, mm-hmm, okay, and then hung up. I've also heard, too, that that wrong number called at one thirty in the morning for mm-hmm. several Sunday mornings in a row. Right. Each time he said, oh, wrong number, and hung up, wrong number, hung up. And then this time, you're right, he said, okay, uh-huh. And when Noreen questioned him, he said, oh, it was a wrong number again. So, right. again, we've never seen anything that substantiated this from Noreen, but there have been people who have talked about it. And so we felt it was important to say that that is one of the major theories that's out there. But Noreen has never substantiated that. And she's been pretty good about talking about this case and what's gone on. That's kind of my point of view on that. Uh, some people, you know, they're like, well, maybe his dad was involved. And it's like because he's not as passionate as Noreen. I don't know how to explain that because He's just kind of like in that documentary, he was like, oh, people go missing every day and they never get found. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. but they're not but always they're not. your son. <laughs> right, like, exactly. They're not your son, dude. But I feel like if there was any question that he might have been involved in any of this, I feel like Noreen would be singing like a canary about that. Because she is so open with all the different theories and what could be and couldn't be. Like if she thought for a second he was involved, I think she would say that because they're ex- husband and wife they're not yeah, it's not they, like she's still married to him so what does she care if she thinks he's involved she'd probably say it yeah i think you're right and so that's kind of the why i kind of go away from this theory a little bit Me i too. think when you first hear it it's it's like oh yeah like he's definitely involved what a terrible person mm-hmm. but when you look at it deeper and take that kind of deeper dive and go where are you hearing this you don't hear it from noreen and it's just yeah doesn't line up with everything else that she that we know about her yeah and that could just be his personality you know He could just be Midwestern. (laughs) I don't mean that mean. Like, sometimes they just say it how it is. You know, they're like, yeah, people are missing. It happens. Yeah, it could be. It totally could be. Yeah. I don't mean anything bad by that. I just mean, like, that could, he could just be one of those people that's just like, well. It is what it is. Yeah. Like, pa. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, my grandpa's just like that. Yeah. He'd be like, well, it is what it is. It's like, (laughs) but it's your son, you know, and he'd be like, yep. It is, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they just, that's how they are. Yeah. But that, that's not even the weirdest part of this. There's an, there's a, <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Like this, this case just has so many twists and turns. There's a news reporter named Jeff Gannon who, why don't you take this? Cause I think, 
I think you understand this a whole lot better than I do. Okay. So only a certain amount of people get a pass for like a press pass for the White House. And it's kind of like an honor to be in that room. Like it's very little people, you know. Yeah, it's very prestigious. Yeah. And nobody can really figure out where this guy got his. Like, (laughs) I mean, he is a reporter, but he doesn't work for a major network. He doesn't have like a lot of qualifications. His past is very sketchy. Not sketchy in the fact that he was a male escort, but sketchy in the fact that he was a male escort and Jeff Gannon is not even his real name. So it's kind of like this weird, like, eh. So there's been a Freedom of Information Act request that came out that showed that he had gone to the White House like three dozen times. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, without the Secret Service knowing he was there. Like, without being checked in or checked right. out at certain times. That's yeah, not legit. He's like legit. on video, right? He's on video? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's not legit. You can't. That's no bueno. Yeah, no, that's So that real looks weird. real bad. This is during the Bush administration. So there's pictures of him talking to George Bush. They look friendly, like, which George Bush was friendly with the media. So it could just be that he just knew him as a media reporter. But I think somebody in the White House, whether it was George Bush or not, I'm not saying, but somebody in the White House knew this guy personally, had to have. Because how else would you get in? Like that, you know? You think Bush might have been inviting him over for some uh, after-hours things? I actually don't. I have a different theory about why he was there. Oh, please do tell. I don't buy into the gay sex theory. Just because he was a, a male escort, like, I know that's where your mind automatically wants to go is sex, but I really don't buy that. So what do you think he was there for? <laughs> I think if it was sex, it was somebody in the White House. It may not have even been the president. It was just somebody. I could see it not being the president for sure. Yeah, Or if it was something to do with the president, maybe it has nothing to do with sex. Maybe it was some other, you know, something that he was blackmailing him for, or maybe he was like his illegitimate son or something, you know? Yeah. And the whole reason we bring this up is because the theory behind this is that Jeff Gannon may be Johnny Gosh. Oh, right. I guess we should have said that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I realized we didn't mention that. That's the theory is that Jeff Gannon is Johnny Gosh because JG, his other name that he's gone by before in the past, it it was like Jack something or Justin something. I don't remember. But the initials were JG too. And oh, it was James something, Guthrie or something. I don't know. But it was a weird name. I, I remember. I know what you're talking about. It was a really weird name. And there's not much known about his like early years. And so the name he went by before was. James Guckert. The theory is, is that he was involved in the sex trafficking ring that was connected to some pretty high up political players in the 80s. And over the years, he stayed connected to all those political players. And then eventually, all of a sudden, he was a White House reporter and he's going in and out of the White House freely. Now, that's a great theory in theory land. And I love conspiracy theories like that. I don't think that that's what happened. If if, if he was Johnny Gosh... I feel like he'd be nowhere near the White House. They wouldn't let him anywhere near it. See, I have a theory on that, too. If he is Johnny Gosh, and if you look up pictures of them next to each other, they do look very similar. Like, it, it is kind of uncanny. As much they as a look... 12-year-old boy could look like a 40-year-old man. Well, mean, yeah. Right, but you can see that kind of, you can see kind of the same facial features, yeah, if you will. Both white guys, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so my theory on that is kind of hiding in plain sight because if he is Johnny Gosh and he did escape this sex ring and there were a lot of people involved in that, you might want to hide in plain sight to protect yourself so that if now you do go missing, 
people will care and notice because when you're a 12 year old boy in Des Moines, Iowa, clearly not enough people cared or noticed. But if you're a big yeah, political figure, but I don't think a, a White House correspondent is that big of a figure. Like if he went missing, he'd be like, oh, missing guy. Honestly, I get what you're saying. I just think that sounds like a bigger risk than reward to be that close to the people that did this to Ooh. you, if that's the theory. I just thought, what if he's in the witness protection program now because he got out and yeah. he helped the FBI bust that, yeah, solved it. Yeah, that that is a good thought. But Thank you. I just don't think that if it is Johnny Gosh, they would risk putting him in the public eye like that in front of a camera if they knew who he was. I think Jeff Gannon has something else to hide, which is why he plays cat and mouse with this Johnny Gosh thing. Because I think there's a, a worse or a weirder reason that he was in and out of the white house i could see that he was in there and not being documented for a reason so mm -hmm. i don't know so the reason is either like you said gay sex of some kind with somebody in the white house not necessarily the president just somebody right or some other reason that people didn't want anybody to find out about that's why i was saying like well maybe he was somebody's like illegitimate son yeah i could see that do we know what time of the day though he came to the white house no because that would be very no helpful. because if I wanted to go down this rabbit hole, I would have spent hours on it, but I don't buy this, so I didn't really research it that well, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I get you. No, I Because I don't it. buy it. But it is a, it is an interesting rabbit hole to go down, but I think at the end of the day, I don't buy it either. Yeah. Pretty much, we just circle back to the same theory of sex trafficking. I mean, there's really no other explanation for this whole I don't think thing. There, yeah, I don't think there's any other explanation either. I think it's a very elaborate sex trafficking world that is out there, and Johnny Gosh got swept up into it, and they didn't expect the wave of Noreen Gosh. Can you imagine if Noreen Gosh was not his mom? I can't. We Well, I can, because I think this was happening before, just not to Noreen Gosh. And once it happened right. to someone like her, mm -hmm. the the gloves were off. You know, she went all in. But yeah, I think right. this is this has been happening for forever. I think there's always been some kind of you know sex trafficking, slave trade. Yeah, I just don't understand how people can, with a straight face, be like, "Oh, she's crazy." It's like, are you a lunatic? Her son is fucking missing, yeah, and nobody is doing anything about it. In fact, they probably are all involved. Just like we didn't even talk about the theory about the cop and the bleachers. Well, we didn't talk about that because we've kind of heard, too, that's not substantiated anywhere else either. But to kind of go off right. of that, Johnny Gosh had some older siblings. His brother was playing in a football game, and his parents sent Johnny to the snack stand to get some popcorn for everybody. And they could see him walking, and all of a sudden they couldn't. And he had taken way too long, so John Gosh got up to go and see him, and he was talking to a police officer. He walked back and Johnny said, oh, police officer is really nice. I should Maybe I should be a police officer when I grow up. Again, later on in the game, Johnny went missing again. And John Gosh found him again talking to a police officer. But this time they were underneath the bleachers. Right. Which is like, why? Yeah. We all know what goes on in, under the bleachers at a high school football game. At no point does a police officer need to be talking to anybody underneath the bleachers but if that's true and again we haven't had that substantiate anywhere but if that is true again that's another nail in the coffin of the police of you guys must have been involved in some way yeah something i don't know we could go on forever about the different theories but i think paul benassi has all the answers and somebody just needs to fucking ask him yeah i think so too 
I think he is the gatekeeper to that and more. And I'm not saying that he's like holding anything back because when Noreen asks him questions, he gives her everything he knows, you know, but it's like he needs somebody who's a professional who can look up this information that he's giving them and put all this, all these pieces together. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's really terrible. So it's terrible that nobody is willing to take the dive into, to solve this and figure it out because there's still pieces on the table, but there's no one's willing to look into it. Yep. Sad. So if Johnny Gosh was still alive today, he'd be like 51 years old. And I think it's possible. I totally think he's still alive. So I hope one day he can come forward and, but imagine the media circus if he is found. It's like, oh God, I wouldn't want to deal with that either. So yeah, it's a, that's a really good point. You'd have to relive all of that trauma again. Yeah. It's really sad. I don't know. Any other major theories that we missed? Can you think of anything? I don't think there's any major theories that we missed. To uh, wrap it up, we've gotten quite a few questions on our emails about Grant and me and our relationship and the podcast and everything else. And so we decided, like, maybe we should do a question and answer episode. So if you guys have any questions for us, um, shoot them our way. Head to our Instagram at From Crime to Crime. We'd love to to listen. That's the first time I plugged our Instagram this entire episode. (laughs) Yep. Head to Instagram or if you don't want to say it on an Instagram comment, just uh, shoot us an email at from crime to crime podcast at gmail.com. But if you can, please leave a comment because it helps the algorithm and more people find us and we want to get rich and famous. (laughs) Oh, is that what we're trying to do here? I thought we were just bitching about the West Des Moines Police Department. If that's what's going to make me rich, that's the best way to get rich. (laughs) All right, bud. Well, we better get going. It's getting late. Yeah, it is. All right. Talk to you later. All right. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye.